Asshole Cord is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. A few weeks back, Russia invaded Ukraine and reminded everyone what it felt like to live in the Cold War again, to live under the very real threat of potential nuclear annihilation. And sure, it's a bit scary, but at the same time, I decided to make the most of the situation and dust off my old Rocky IV VHS and pleasure myself to Rocky Balboa winning the Cold War sequel handedly by beating Ivan Drago's commie ass. And just as I was climaxing and Rocky was telling the Soviets, if I could change, you could change, everybody could change, I began to think, you know, Rocky really did look better with a beard. I'm kidding. I thought, how the fuck did we get back to this point? Of course, the answer is complicated, and although I don't want to oversimplify, the truth is that a lot of what's happening stems from one man, Vladimir Putin. And today we'll be covering the Russian leader on the show. Is Putin a megalomaniac, a psychopath, or just a shrewd nationalist determined to return Russia to what he considers to be its former glory? Pour yourself a shot of vodka, put on your funny Russian hat, and fire off a few AK rounds into the air as we dig into old Pootie Poot on this episode of Asshole Court. So let's get some preliminary scores on Vladimir Putin. All right, buddy, what you got? All right. So for me, I mean, Mikey, Randy, you guys know I'm not political at all. You know, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a centrist and I just I, I just don't it's just not my cup of tea. It's kind of like your sexualism, your asexual and apolitical. Hey. <laughs> hey. Like the Fonz. Hey. It's I'm funny kidding. that Fonz is like I'm the kidding. coolest guy ever on Happy Days, but then like Henry Winkler is just a total fucking nerd, dude. God, he is. He rules nerd. though, but I mean, he's a great guy, but it's just crazy. You're like, oh yeah, you they cast you as the coolest guy ever? There's <laughs> the hair in the jacket. That's true. He was cool. Yeah. And I'm kidding, buddy. I know you're not asexual. Yeah, so. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Just, I appreciate just that. Just to make things clear. <laughs> so, um, but no, I pretty much get a lot of my politics or anything political from you guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm interested to hear what is going to be said today. Yeah. You know, I've heard bad stuff about him all throughout, you know, my life, but mm-hmm. I've never really, you know, it's just hearsay for me, you know, because mm-hmm. I just don't really dive into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I, as I'm doing my pre-show, I kind of looked at uh, some of the other people that have been in the courtroom and you know, without knowing too much about him, I think that I would kind of parallel him a little bit to Suge Knight. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> just in like demeanor and kind of like yeah. what he does. Yeah. So for me, my pre-show score is going to be a 7.67. Okay. And uh, I have a feeling it's going to jump up, but we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, pre-show, I'm putting Pootie Poot with there Suge with Suge Knight. Okay, that's awesome. Interesting. All right. <laughs> All right, Randy, what you got, brother? So I think the one thing I'm looking forward to today is figuring out and understanding how he got to where he is mm-hmm. right sure like, 
a little bit, honestly, about how his childhood was and how he kind of came up and what might have been some of the underlying uh, issues he ran into as a kid to get him to be kind of a, a fucked up individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the years, we've seen his political moves, right? He was president. He hit his term limit, put in a, a pretty much a puppet master yeah. for a couple Medvedev, of years. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah Medvedev. Then put himself back in power mm-hmm. and made a law. I could be president as long as I want. Yeah. That tells you a little bit about what kind of a dude he is. Um, with all the recent happenings, obviously, pretty much the entire world is against this guy yeah. at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even so. the Russian cosmonauts were dressed in. in I saw that. Suits. Those yeah. motherfuckers had. I don't know how they got through the hatch because their balls have to be huge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. No. I saw somebody say, "I've never been more proud of a bald man." Yeah, dude, than, easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, come on with the ball jokes now. No, Asexual totally. balls. I mean, we're just gonna kill each other today. And I, I kind of did the same thing, right, uh, buddy? I looked at our scale and, and tried to figure out where I put Vlad mm-hmm. on our scale. And I think he really correlates well with Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> was he a stripper early on in life? Oh, yeah. He always, he was always shirtless. He's always shirtless. <laughs> Most shirtless. Got them titties out, boy. I yeah. saw one the other day. It said uh, Vladimir Putin and... Uh, Matthew McConaughey tied for the most shirtless picks ever. All and right, like, all right, all right. That's yeah. about right. No kidding. Uh, pre-show, I've got him at probably. I'm gonna go nine point two five. Dude is all pretty right. stout. Um, so yeah, I put him above Cardi B, uh, <laughs> just below Takashi six nine. Yeah, just below Rodrigo Duterte and uh, Christopher Colombo. Yeah. He's right at Vlad the Impaler score. Actually, there you go. No, yeah. that hey, makes a lot of sense. Vlad, Vladislav. Yeah. Yeah, um, I uh, have paid attention to this guy for 20 years now. I don't know. I, I'm more interested in like geopolitics, I guess, than nerd than yeah. buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, Putin's a, he's a bad guy, man. He's a he's a he's a very bad guy. I've read plenty of books on him and I figured honestly that this is an important time to do it because the, the invasion of Ukraine is horrific. It's awful. Like what he's doing right now and, or, you know, the Russian military in like Mariupol and Kharkiv and I mean, it's like a full on atrocity. You know what I'm saying? They're targeting civilians and he doesn't care. I mean, this is, it's, and you'll see as we go through this that it all sort of lines up. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to score him pretty high. I'm going to put him at a 9.75 to start. All right. With an underwhelming 7.67 from Buddy, a 9.25 from Randy and a 9.75 from Mikey. Vladimir Putin's pre-show asshole score is an 8.89. Okay. 8.89. So pre-show, he's right in line with uh, Jared Fogle. <laughs> and, and, and Casey Anthony. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Definitely Jared Fogle. So, yeah. So Vladimir Putin is a, a much of an asshole, we think, before the show starts. As Casey Anthony and Jared Fogle, this of Subway pedophile fame. Five dollar foot long. Here we go. Awesome. All right. Well, you guys uh ready to invade another country? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. On Valentine's Day, 1952, just one year before his death, Joseph Stalin secretly pumps one final Soviet load into famed KGB femme fatale Elizaveta Zerubina. Nine months later, a child is born. On a Kremlin balcony overlooking the Red Square, this child, clad in a Russian Yushanka and looking very much like Austin Powers' mini-me, is hoisted up in the air by Stalin in a Lion King-like moment. As Stalin held the child aloft, he proclaimed, Oh, my tiny evil one. 
all of this will be yours one day to gaslight and steal from and just fuck up in general. <laughs> Everything you see is yours. And that is the supervillain origination story of Vladimir Putin. Of course, while that would be a much cooler beginning, it isn't true at all. I would kind of imagine uh, Stalin holding the kid over the yeah. rail like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Blanket. 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 Putin. Putin. It's ignorant. It's ignorant. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> like everything in life, the real story is much more ordinary. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin is born on October 7th, 1952 in Leningrad, what today is St. Petersburg. Not to Stalin and a sexy KGB agent, but instead to Vladimir Spiridov... Spiridon, man, I'm going to be fucking up Russian words all day today. Y'all get ready for it. Yeah, Vladimir Spiridonovich. A lot of those Russian words, it's like, I heard somebody say it best. Uh, they were like, it's a weird language and weird letters. It's like all the, it's like a TI-83 with all the buttons you don't use. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Like, <laughs> Cyrillic, yeah, Cyrillic's kind of weird looking. It is very strange, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah his dad is Vladimir Spiridonovich, a factory foreman, and Maria Ivanova, um, she's just a lady. <laughs> a stay at home mom <laughs> it. the only relation that Putin has to Joseph Stalin is that his grandfather Spiridon was his personal cook Chef yeah. Boyardichik as he was <laughs> known in my mind but that's true that's a true story apparently huh. Okay. little Vlad had two brothers but they both died were they killed by young Vlad possibly poisoned or pushed out a window like so many Russian dissidents we may never know I'm kidding. We know they actually both died before little Vladimir was even born. One brother, Albert, died in infancy, and the other brother, Victor, died of diphtheria during the infamous siege of Leningrad in World War II. Or crossing the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Distemper or yeah, something like that. Dysentery. Yeah. 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 You got dysentery. So little I, Vlad has a broken arm. Little it. Vlad is dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Time to go hunt. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that happened in like the siege of Leningrad, which is arguably like the most brutal single war theater in human history. Like if you read about the siege of Leningrad, it is fucking horrific. Was um, it Russians versus Russians? Germans. Germans. The Germans. Versus. The Nazis came through and then they like lay because like Leningrad and St. Petersburg is pretty far west. Yeah. Yeah. So they came west through. to north. Right. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So the Germans came in and like. Pretty much it was urban warfare, but for like a couple years to the point where they, you know, in a siege mentality, you cut off supplies from the right, city. Right. Yeah, sure. So there was tons of starvation and cannibalism and people Ooh. eating rats and shit like that. Ooh. Like there's a couple movies that are there's one that's called Enemy at the Gates, yeah, which is yeah. kind of funny. It's about a Russian sniper named like Vasily Zaitsev. But he's played by Jude Law, which is <laughs> like with a British accent. Everybody has British accents. In a war movie about the Germans invading the Russians. Interesting. I don't know. They definitely have sex in it, too. Like, and it looks like nasty sex because they're, Ooh, they're, they're not showered and clean. Yeah. Yeah. Like Civil War like sex. Like Renaissance time. Yeah. Civil War sex. Yeah. <laughs> Wool suits and yeah, no yeah. showers. Yeah, just pulling. Oh. Yeah. Just, you're just, like I said, just like JFK, just pulling your dick through your underwear hole. Yeah. <laughs> Uncontrollable bushes <laughs> oh, everywhere. Yeah. My Hanes hole. <laughs> That's it. My Hanes hole. <laughs> Uh, anyways, not much is known about Vladimir's uh, youth, to be honest. We know that he looked very much like a little Soviet version of Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. <laughs> and, and we know that he loved martial arts. One author, uh, Alex Goldfarb, who researched Putin, described him as a schoolyard thug who escaped prison only because of his talent for judo. 
and the martial arts creds are reliable. Like I said, we do know that Putin took an early interest in uh, martial arts, including judo, but initially started with the Soviet martial art discipline named Sambo, which also holds the title for having the most inadvertently racist name of all the martial arts. <laughs> That's just what I'm an expert in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but I don't think there's, there's for like five black Russians. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I thought we watched that movie Nobody the other day, and that was like one of the plot lines was there was a black Russian dude with like a full on, uh, like a flat top or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, it's hard to say whether or not young Vlad was a legitimate schoolyard bully or just a dude that really liked wearing a judo gi. But the rumor is, and it certainly stands to reason, that the KGB kept a close eye on anyone that was proficient in martial arts for recruiting purposes. Makes sense. Yeah, of course. Side note, it's also rumored that in his early teens and even before, Putin was an avid reader. His alleged favorite reads? Marx, Engels, and Lenin. And I just want to point out here that this claim is pretty much the Soviet equivalent of having a celebrity claim a genius IQ score as a child. <laughs> I am certainly not claiming that Putin was or is dumb, but the idea of a 12-year-old casually reading Das Kapital or Dialectics of Nature is fucking ridiculous, dude. Yeah, those aren't very light reads. Oh, no. Yeah. I couldn't read it. I couldn't put fucking Das Kapital in front of me, dude. I'm going to sleep. Anyway, at the tender age of 18, Vladimir enters into Leningrad State University's law department. But because the Soviet Union wasn't really a state governed by the rule of law, the assumption was that the law department of the university really was just a training ground for the KGB, the police, and like the general bureaucracy. This is confirmed by one of the university lecturers at the time, a guy named Valerie, uh, Valerie Moosin. Valerie. <laughs> Valerie. <laughs> Valerie Burton Ernie. So getting a law degree was like the equivalent of getting like a degree in psychology. Yeah, they were, they were just like, hey, will you go over here? Yeah, there's there's no like practical and purpose And not to, not to knock any psychology majors out there, but... Uh, well, with just a bachelor's, there's just not much you could do with true. it. This is true. Or anthropology, that'd be another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, cultural geography. Cult Michael oh, Jordan style. there we go. Yeah. And actually, Putin himself would later confirm that he was actively recruited by the KGB before his graduation. In one interview, he stated this in regards to his KGB recruitment. Yeah, I remember joining the KGB. Shit was hype, son. Learn to kill and steal and blackmail and spy without ever getting in trouble. Shit, who wouldn't want to do that? You know what I'm saying? Sign me up. <laughs> I'm kidding. The real <laughs> quote is, you know, I even wanted it. I was driven by high motives. I thought I would be able to use my skills to the best for society. And if there's any job that's going to be best for society, it's definitely the KGB. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. After graduation in 1975, Putin officially joins the KGB. Killing grifters, brother. That's it. <laughs> KGB. That's it. They have bumper stickers that show that. <laughs> After official training, he bounces around posts in Leningrad, where he is tasked with monitoring foreigners and consular officials. Again, information is spotty at best, it being the Soviet Union in the 70s, and Vlad's profession being uh, predicated on secrecy and subversion. But we do know that around 1984... He sent the training at the Yuri Andropov Red Banner Institute, which is like an elite foreign uh, intelligence training institute. Okay. So obviously the KGB, like higher up, saw something of value in young Vlad. And it's also around this time that he marries a flight attendant named Lyudmila. <laughs> I even hang out with Russians and I can't get this shit right. Lyudmila? Lyudmila. They eventually have two daughters, Maria and Katerina. Now those are easy. Yeah. <laughs> I know those names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Upon graduation from the Yuri Andropov Red Banner Institute, Vladimir is stationed in Dresden, East Germany. It likely helped that German was his uh, second language, so okay. he speaks it fluently. Now, East Germany was not officially part of the Soviet Union, but it was definitely what one would define as a satellite state. 
That is, it was ostensibly an independent state that only happened to align politically with the larger power nearby, but in all practicality was at the beck and call of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. The communist half of Germany. That's correct. Yep. yep. It's funny. It's, I remember all the time growing up, all the East German jokes that were made about Olympians being on steroids <laughs> and shit like that. Remember, they would have the women that like straight men. They're yep. like, and now for the East German team. It was like in dodgeball where that yeah. one chick yeah. got. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's funny because the Russians are completely banned from the Olympics. They have yeah. to be the Russian Olympic Committee. Oh, yeah. Not actually Russia. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah if yeah. you haven't watched the movie Icarus, you need to watch that right now because that's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And it totally covers. Initially, the guy just wants to cover. He wants to do a, like get on steroids, and like performance enhancing drugs to see how it affects his. Uh, cycling like it's career. like with all the Lance Armstrong stuff, right? Yeah, but it was, that it was same. It, well, it is, but he was like a he was um, he wasn't doing this professionally. Yeah, he just yeah. wanted to see what it, taking steroids would do with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't get like any Americans to do it, so he ended up finding the Russian scientist that was doping the entire Russian team, and it goes crazy after that, dude. Like the dude having like escape the country because he's gonna get killed and shit. Oh, wow. Go watch Icarus if you get a chance. Then you want to talk about like Russian doping and shit like that because it is absolutely endemic. Hmm. Damn. Of course, the like the idea that there were two Germanys, one functioning as an extension of the Soviet Union, probably seems like an extremely distant concept to some of our listeners that were born after the Cold War ended, but it's what it was, uh, like we were just talking about. And East Germany was arguably the most important satellite state to the Soviet Union as Berlin, and the Berlin Wall, more specifically, was basically ground zero in the Cold War. At the time, several thousand KGB officers reported uh, to a headquarters in Karlshorst outside Berlin. Soviet military intelligence was also stationed in East Germany. But the biggest intelligence operation was the East German secret police, the Stasi, who monitored hundreds of thousands of citizens and kept millions of documents on file. I bet they were pretty level-headed, you know, people. Just a a group of good guys. Oh, the Stasi, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know... All their intentions were for the better good of East Germany. Oh, absolutely. Actually, when they when when you had the dissolution of the Eastern German state, they found all of these documents, pretty much about everybody. Like, I don't think that you get a more uh, like detailed society. Yeah, yeah, they had to like burn a lot of shit, and like people had to just kind of get over it that their neighbors were like ratting them out and telling on you and stuff oh, like wow. that. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also the East German military uniforms were uh, the ones that got sort of like copied in Star Wars with the big dumb helmets. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was always and like, also are- in uh, Spaceballs and stuff yeah, like that. Sort of, yeah, <laughs> they all look like Darth Helmet. <laughs> Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at AHC Podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all of our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Anyways, it's in this environment that KGB agent Vladimir Putin, aged 32, he goes to Dresden, right? Of course, he didn't show up to Dresden wearing a KGB hoodie, even though the Stasi was totally cool with the Soviets and the KGB and uh, certainly utilized their resources, Putin had to operate under the radar, right? His cover identity was as a translator. Was a transvestite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He cross-dressed as a woman and worked the streets at night. He's a streetwalker. That is actually true. Uh, that's amazing. Did you read about this already? Oh, I'm deep dive. Absolutely. Uh, it's very difficult to know specifically what he was up to during this time, aside from walking the streets and getting his ass fucked for money. But some documents <laughs> have been discovered hint at a couple of different objectives. Primarily, he was involved in recruiting and preparing agents. 
Mostly, Vladimir looked for East Germans who had plausible reasons to travel abroad, like journalists, businessmen, academics, etc., right? A groomed agent was sent to the West to spy and steal secrets. This could be like standard military stuff, but oftentimes it amounted to state-sponsored corporate espionage with apparent efforts to steal Western technology for a Dresden-based electronics conglomerate hilariously named Robotron. The same, <laughs> the same word I, I say with a robot voice when I'm breaking up the 1980s robot dance after having too much to drink at a wedding reception. <laughs> Robotron. Robotron. <laughs> Hold on, guys. I got to go report back to Robotron. <laughs> I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Dude, I was reading that. I was like, Robotron. It's like you guys aren't even trying, man. Mikey, behave yourself. <laughs> We're at a wedding. <laughs> Like, damn, he is actually, like, ripping that robot dance, dude. (laughs) Now, throughout this period, Putin proved himself like a pretty solid KGB careerist, ultimately rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel, and likely would have finished his life out as a respected yet entirely forgettable piece of the Soviet spy apparatchik had a twist in geopolitics not intervened. As it turns out, you don't actually need a comic book-styled origination story to make a supervillain. You don't need to create, like, a super Russian son of Stalin or, like, uh, like, some other... Russian lady or whatever her name was, Andropov, yeah. some shit. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you just need to have an intelligent and deeply patriotic company man observe the collapse of a civilization and culture from its edges, which is exactly what happens in the late 80s to Putin as he operates in East Germany. As one German intelligence specialist noted, Putin was on the seam of East-West confrontation at the end of the Cold War, and the lessons were self-evident. In East Germany, Putin must have noticed the system did not work anymore. If he was not stupid, he would have noticed the East Germans were the losers of economic history. Because the reality is that Soviet-styled communism was largely a state-sanctioned graft, an authoritarian system that effectively siphoned off state-owned profits to the upper levels of power and relied entirely on a system of coercion and intimidation to maintain the status quo and keep the lower rungs of society from revolting. In 1989, the system collapsed in East Germany and other satellite states. And I remember that shit. Oh, of course. Oh, wall fell? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I remember I them like put like saws through the, the wall mm-hmm. and it all coming down and stuff. Like, yeah. I remember I didn't understand it at all. Like my whole family was like gathered around the television and I was like, I don't, okay, who gives a shit? It's an ugly ass wall. Tearing down a wall. It's got a bunch of graffiti on it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, the East Germans get to play with the West Germans now. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Actually, they have a piece of the Berlin Wall over there in the Swanee Town Center. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. In 1990, with no connection to the Stasi and the failed state of East Germany, KGB officers returned to the Soviet Union, then on its last legs. This included Vladimir Putin, who returned to St. Petersburg, or Leningrad at the time, right? Sure. In 1991, the Soviet Union implodes entirely, and everything that Putin and so many Soviets had understood to be reality crumbled from underneath them. And while many Russians were happy to see the broken system disappear almost overnight, many were not happy about the rug pull and being labeled like the losers of the Cold War. Vladimir Putin was most certainly like one of the latter. Like, Don't take my word for it. Putin himself is quoted as saying that the fall of the Soviet Union was, quote, the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. Everything he had known and worked for and arguably believed in went up in a proverbial puff of smoke. And it wasn't some great war that finished it off either. Just a general sense of people involved basically throwing their hands up and saying, Fuck it. Shit's broke. <laughs> yeah. We're done. That's exactly right. And I remember when the Soviet Union collapsed, right? Mm-hmm. And they busted off, was it 13 states to the western half of it? Yeah, there was a bunch of like Latvia, I remember Estonia. We had, to, we had to memorize them. Estonia, Did you? Okay. Latvia, Lithuania. Uh, uh, fuck it. I mean, he remembered the first three. Yeah. <laughs> he got Ro- a 30 on that test. <laughs> Robotron mania. Yeah, you would have got about a 30 on that test. <laughs> Or there was Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. That's right. Uh, We're up to a 50. Belarus, um, Ukraine. 
Um, Randy just got the passing level. At Georgia, 70. Moldova. There we go. Yeah. If yeah. Mike and I would have cheated, we would have. We definitely would have cheated. Yeah. Where in the world, world is Vladimir Putin? Putin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the whole thing was demoralizing for guys like Putin. Now, to be fair, I don't think like Putin is like a dyed-in-the-wool communist so much as he is just like a fervent nationalist. Dude doesn't care what victory looks like so long as it's painted in Russian colors. Uh, he had been part of a contingent in the KGB who wanted to see the USSR modernized rather than scrapped. But alas, we know how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So what is an old KGB guy to do in St. Petersburg when his employer is basically hanging up a going out of business sign and about to lay everybody off? Well, Putin took a job as an assistant rector of a university in St. Petersburg. Hold on. A, a what? what? An a assistant what? Rector. rector. An assistant rectum. <laughs> this is where he also sold his ass at the, on the quad of University of St. Petersburg. Hey, you got to keep them dollars coming in somehow. Yeah. it's. <laughs> he said rector. He said, I hardly <laughs> know her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't even know really what a rector is, but <laughs> I was about to ask, what's a rector, Mike? <laughs> Rex in effect. Um, but uh, yeah, where he uh, dealt with, quote, international relations. But as the saying goes, you can take the guy out of the KGB, but you can't take the KGB out of the guy. <laughs> that is how that saying goes. And, and Putin basically continued to recruit and spy on students for Russian intelligence at this point. It's for intelligence purposes. Putin would uh, acknowledge this later, saying that he was a KGB officer under the roof, as we say. Uh, he also noted that the rector for who he worked was well aware of that reality. Additionally, at this time, Putin wanted to write a dissertation on... He says, on a subject I knew and understood, international private law. He made arrangements to do just that, but ended up running into one of his old law professors, a guy named Anatoly Sobchak. Now, Sobchak was one of the first Democratic reformers at the time, and he was preparing to run for the mayor of St. Petersburg. Uh-oh, I think I might know what's about to happen. Mm. Okay. Putin made the decision to leave the KGB at that point and tie his fortunes to the Sobchak campaign. And sure enough, Sobchak would become the first post-Soviet elected mayor. Putin's role under Subchak was initially as an advisor of sorts, and he headed up a committee to attract overseas companies and investment capital from overseas. But if that sounds like standard local government type stuff, it doesn't really portray the situation in St. Petersburg at the time. Because the reality was that the city was in horrible shape, and the biggest problem was literally feeding the population of the city. People don't really understand how devastating it was for the Soviets, for the Russian people, when the Soviet Union collapsed. I remember seeing the pictures of the bread lines and mm-hmm. soup lines just blocks long and the cold, yep. fat old women in their coats. Yeah, like, the babushkas. Yeah. 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 yeah was, it's just like back in the 30s. The depression. The depression. Yeah. yeah, worse. worse. Like I said, ultimately, worse, yeah. we talked about this a little bit in the um, Anna um, Delver show or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But that's the thing. Over here in the U.S., we're like, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, Russians, y'all get to be free. Here's some McDonald's. <laughs> and they were like, oh, shit. They're like, a Big Mac's delicious, but oh, my God, I'm broke as fuck. <laughs> And it also ended up being, like I said, it was like basically the Wild West. Like it was run ran by gangsters. You know what I mean? I thought, and just to show that I'm wrong a lot of the time, what I thought was going to happen, I thought he was going to kill him or have him killed. Oh, yeah. Uh, I take spot as mayor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he said in Soviet Russia, mayor kills you. <laughs> and you become mayor. <laughs> but yeah, there was no like food in the city at all, recalled uh, Marina Salier, who was uh, then a member of the legislature's food committee. Quote, there was no money. Barter was the only way, say, metals for potatoes and meat. It's funny. I heard a story. Um, we've got family members in France, and they've married a couple uh, Cuban girls, mm-hmm. right? So our family, both Frenchmen, have married. It was a Cuban lady and her friend that both yeah. now live in Paris. But they were telling us a story 
that everything in Cuba is the same way. It's the barter mm-hmm. system. Like yeah. if you work for a tire shop, you're going to essentially steal tires and yeah. keep them on the side. And if you want something, say you go to the guy at the liquor store mm-hmm. who's also stealing rum or whatever, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. trade like tires for rum. Yeah. yeah. Everything's black market. Yeah. Yeah, yep, like exactly. yeah. I bet their bread game is on fire though. French Cubans. Yeah. Oh, Holy yeah. shit. I want some of those croissants. Mm. But yeah, at the time, St. Petersburg had been like a Soviet military stronghold in a port city full of state-owned shipbuilding and defense factories packed with precious metals. So a deal was struck. Contracts written to trade metals for food. He's like, I'll take that take for seven potato. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but very quickly, it became apparent that the metals had been sold at discounted prices and the food costs inflated. So no food relief. It had all the hallmarks of a scam. And this is extremely Jeez. common in Russia in the early 90s, is that they were just selling off state-owned assets for nothing. Yeah, I mean, there was a big special on that on Netflix um, where they were talking about like buying, trying to buy subs. Yeah, and the drug dealers would buy the yeah. submarines. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That was actually yeah. a really good uh, show, too. It was too, really yeah. good. But they are like, yeah, we're just going to head over to Russia, check mm-hmm. some shit out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like buying helicopters and stuff. Well, and- that's what, like I said, the, the average Russian was getting like completely sideways fucked and then you had people that were like the middlemen that were making those deals happen and they were just like loading up they were getting rich as fuck like overnight you know what yeah, i mean sure uh so, you know, this type of scam was extremely commonplace in russia like i said in the wild west 90s as i mentioned in the anna delvey episode a while back all state-owned assets were sold off in a giant fire sale and people that were well connected made themselves massively rich at the expense of the average russians this was the rise of the russian oligarchs Guys like Boris Berezovsky and Mikhail Khodorovsky and Oleg Deripaska. And Putin didn't mind wetting his beak a little bit either, apparently. Because of this, or perhaps in spite of this, Putin became increasingly influential in the subject circle, although he preferred to remain more in the shadows. So he was involved in this, like the one lady or whatever, Salier, was like, Putin did that shit. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Right. As the leader of the Yabloko political party, Igor Artemyev put it, in the Petersburg days, it was always other people in front of the television cameras. Almost all the other vice mayors lined up next to the boss. Putin was always in the farthest corner. So he liked to stay in the background. Yeah. You want to have everybody else up front mm-hmm. and taking all the attention and you're back on the sidelines profiting like a motherfucker. Yeah. Yep. As initially influential as he was in the beginning, Sobchak's political powers waned in the course of his first term. He apparently spent a lot of time butting heads with other politicians and power brokers. And although Putin did his best to like smooth things over, Sobchak's abrasiveness took its toll. And in 1996, he lost re-election. And once again, Putin found himself scrambling for a path forward. That year, he took his family and relocated to Moscow. There, he took a position with the Kremlin in the department that managed presidential property. In quick succession, Putin found himself elevated to the deputy chief of the presidential staff in March of 1997, then to the head of Russian Federal Security Service, a.k.a. the FSB, the modern successor to the KGB, in July 1998, then to Deputy Prime Minister in August 1999, and then to Prime Minister with an, like, an additional nod from President Boris Yeltsin that had him first in line as his successor. Man, that was a quick rise. It really was. Right. Four wow. years, he went from being like, like... Jumping from like CIA to like Defense Secretary yeah. to like President? Vice President, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. like Yeah, like, that's a professional ladder climb if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Interestingly enough, even though he quickly ascended to such a powerful position at the time, he was still largely unknown in the Russian political world, like geopolitical world. Like nobody really knew who this fucking guy was. So how did he do it? Why did Boris Yeltsin hoist this unknown from St. Petersburg to the right hand of the throne? 
Well, the corruption that we talked about a second ago, the graft and theft and coercion, well, it went all the way to the top. Yeltsin was a very corrupt man himself. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> and towards the end of the 90s, the heat was really starting to pick up on him. Uh, there was a guy named Yuri Skuratov, and he was like the Russian prosecutor general at the time, and he had opened up a very serious investigation into Yeltsin's wealth and allegations that his administration had taken bribes from a Swiss firm trying to secure lucrative deals for like uh, Kremlin renovations. This was a huge deal. The Kremlin was, of course, looking to shut down the investigation, but at this point, as tenuous as it was, there was some semblance of like checks and balances in the Russian government. For instance, dismissing Skuratov would require approval of not only the Kremlin, but also the upper chamber of the Russian parliament. In the midst of this, a video appeared which purported to show Skuratov involved in a tryst with a couple of prostitutes. Aw, snap. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, the video had been shown to Skuratov first by the Kremlin in an attempt to get him to back off of the investigation, but he refused. He claimed that the man in the video was not even him. He was like, that's a, not me. <laughs> I got a way better stroke than that, dude. <laughs> My schlong's way bigger than that. You see how quick that guy came? It's ridiculous. <laughs> He's I'm, not even drinking vodka. Ask my wife. She's always like, are you done? Are you done? <laughs> Yuri. <laughs> <laughs> And the uh, two guys in the video? Yeah. yeah, there's no telling who they were. Yeah, no is that, that might be Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Eventually, the video was shown on Russian news programs after having been delivered by none other than the head of the FSB, Damn. Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Putin. <laughs> they yeah. put his hooker video yeah, on TV. Did. Can you imagine like, like, putting Kim Kardashian's <laughs> fuck video with Ray J? Like, I was just imagine like, Fox News. Hey, <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom Brokaw. Top story tonight. Ray J gets his dick sucked by Kim Kardashian. Here's the video. Tomorrow, Morning. <laughs> you might want to get the children out of the room. Tomorrow, we'll be covering One Night in Paris. Uh, soon afterwards, on April 7th, 1999, Putin went on TV himself to claim the tape authentic, that the, quote, Man who looked like Skuratov was indeed Skuratov and called not only for like Skuratov's resignation, but for a more robust criminal investigation. So is, I ask because I don't know, is getting hookers illegal? No, it's or not it's illegal. just immoral for his position? It's just a bad look. It's frowned upon. Yes, yeah. I mean, I thought all Russians got hookers. I think a lot of people get hookers. A lot of people in power get hookers. Sorry to our Russian friends yeah. out there. Oh, no. I mean, everybody fucks hookers, right? Not us, but everybody else in power. If you're a, like for a, remember, uh, what was the governor of New York's name? Cuomo? Not Cuomo. Uh, God. Uh, oh, uh, God Elliot. Elliot uh, Wiener. No. No, uh, him too, no. Yeah, yeah. no, no, but this, not I can't Giuliani. remember his name. Uh, not Giuliani. It was a different one. But that guy was like the thirstiest man alive. Like they, they were talking about, he called like multiple times. It was like, send me another one. <laughs> wow. He was horny. He had a Weinstein appetite. Bro. Yeah. They were like, dude, this is like the seventh time we've sent somebody to you today. He's just like, <laughs> his dick's just like, in Skirtoff's case, the compromise black PR combination proved a killer one, two punch. The case was jettisoned. Skuratov was fired without fanfare by the Kremlin, and more than that, another potential candidate for Yeltsin's successor, a guy named Yevgeny Primakov, who himself had supported the investigation, but was still considered the most likely to succeed Yeltsin, was pushed out of the running. Putin, the ever-wily KGB man and master of Kompromat, had solved Yeltsin's problems. Yeltsin no longer had to worry about getting exposed or losing his wealth. He could remain in power 
for the moment. Imagine seeing a, all I think of is Yeltsin getting exposed. Imagine seeing a, a <laughs> Boris Yeltsin porn. Oh. Where you see like an old dude's butt. My God. Butt. Yeah, it looks like the gym at LA Fitness. <laughs> <laughs> I can it's see. True. He would Yeah, you've probably seen Boris Yeltsin naked. Just in the form of another 70-year-old man at LA Fitness. That's it. Just butt-ass naked in, in the sauna. You're like, you <laughs> put a towel on. No, no, no cover. <laughs> I legitimately have seen multiple old men blow dry their balls. Oh, have with you seen their this? foot on the counter? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a real deal. Uh, foot on the counter. Right before the gold bonds applied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Gold Bond <laughs> Medicated Powder, the sponsor of today's show. I'm telling you, I, and I, I can tell I'm getting old because I'm. Because you're blow drying your balls. <laughs> once you do what it, did you your realize, wife got, what did your wife catch you doing dude, there? Uh, once you do it, you finally get it. You know what I'm saying? So it's you're like, now the naked guy at LA Fitness. Blow dry my balls. Damn it, Mikey. Yeah, Man. yeah, yeah. My pubes aren't even gray yet. I'm waiting for that. That's what I've really. That's what I've made it to the mountaintop. We've all got a little bit of gray going on in our beards. In our beards, salt and I'm pepper, baby. I'm yeah. still uh, clean cool. downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> clean south of the waistline that's border. Right. Oh man! I'll have to ask my wife what my, what colors my ass hairs are. So. Oh my god! Man. What is she eating ass? <laughs> Somehow every episode we end up talking about eating ass. This is just called like the ass the ass eating podcast. <laughs> Asshole court. Yeah, that's it. Ass hair court. <laughs> oh my god! All right. It's also important to note here that Boris Yeltsin, aside from just being corrupt was also wildly unpopular in Russia at this time. His drinking escapades had embarrassed Russia frequently on the world stage. Nice. I want to hear about this. One great story came from none other than an interview with Bill Clinton, who told one of the wildest international political stories that I've ever heard. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) Check it out. Bill Clinton relayed how Boris Yeltsin's late-night drinking during a visit to Washington in 1995 nearly created an international incident. The Russian president was staying at Blair House, the government uh, like guest quarters, Late at night, Clinton stated that Secret Service agents found Yeltsin clad only in his underwear, standing along uh, Pennsylvania Avenue and trying to hail a cab. He wanted a pizza, he told them. His words (laughs) slurring. That's awesome. He's wearing whitey tighties on the corner of Pennsylvania (laughs) Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Trying to hail a cab. I've I've been there, like the front of the White House, right there. Oh, and you've been there, like underwear, trying to hail a cab. Yeah, he didn't wind up well. Yeah, it was like a dookie streak and everything. That's right. Skid marks. A few nights in D.C. jail. (laughs) One night in Bangkok. Dude. Yeah, that's a busy little thoroughfare right there. Yeah, it really uh, is. Right in front of the White House, yeah. Dude, I can't imagine like the next day. Could you imagine the cab driver rolling by? That looks like he looks familiar. Nah, I can be. be. I'm not picking up that freak in his underwear. <laughs> the next night, he Yeltsin himself. <laughs> Yeltsin eluded security forces again when he climbed down backstairs to the Blair House basement. A building guard took Yeltsin for a drunk intruder until Russian and U.S. agents arrived on the scene and rescued him. Oh man, what if he just shot him? Yeah. yeah, or like just like start pounding him, like you know, like Man, it's like having your fucking crazy drunk uncle at yeah. your house or something, and he's just like every night you don't know what the fuck's gonna happen. Oh, man. Yeltsin was half cocked every time you see a video of him in the '90s, blown out of his mind, drunk, dude. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, "Man, I wish they would have said this"? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. 
Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. Like I said, this is just one of the many Yeltsin as drunk buffoon stories that were out there that would eventually like emerge too. Long story short, his time as president was drawing to a close, whether he wanted it or not. Politically wounded and in peril, the story is that Yeltsin agreed to relinquish control to Putin in order to preserve the nest egg that he'd stolen during his presidential tenure. Whether that's true or not, and I firmly believe it is, Yeltsin appeared on air on December 31st for the traditional New Year's speech to the nation. But surprisingly to the Russian people, Yeltsin used this as an opportunity to resign and name Putin as his successor. To say this was a shock to the Russian people and to the global like geopolitical community is an understatement. Of course, Yeltsin was unpopular and his tenure was winding down, but to do so in such a sudden fashion was entirely unexpected. And more than that, nobody really knew who Putin was. Remember, he'd always preferred to like avoid the spotlight. He was like the proverbial man in the shadows, and here he was, acting president, months before a new president could even be voted for. And can the outgoing president name the next president? Well... In interim, they had an election in March, mm-hmm. whatever. And there actually was so like this a, was like the two month period in between. He's, yeah, here's my stand in, mm-hmm. and yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. And he was just like, "Hey, this is my dude. He's gonna run it for me now." And I again, the rumor is that basically Putin was like, "You're gonna make me president, and I'm not gonna investigate you. You get to keep all your shit. Yeah, you get yeah, to yeah. go away or whatever." Deal. Now the election happened three months later. There was this article I read where some journalists were like following Yeltsin around the day of the election when Putin won. And he was waiting for Putin to call him, or he he called to congratulate Putin. Putin didn't take the call. Oh man, yeah, didn't take that the call. Had to get his fucking sphincter tight. Yeah, yeah. he you was know like, what I mean, like, oh no. Well, Putin was like, uh, I'll call him later. Never called him. Huh. But did he ever investigate him? No, no, no. Okay. No. Well, hey. Like I said, the Russian public wasn't sure what to make of this man, a person described by a contemporary as a quote very dry, obviously very humorless man of small stature. Which is true. I mean, he doesn't talk about it, of course, but Putin, all judo posturing and shirtless bravado aside, is a diminutive five foot six or five foot seven on a good day. Little bitch. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's huh. a tiny little dude. Oh, man, he wouldn't get in a date with an American girl these days. They all want six one, six two. He's also probably the richest man on the planet. On the planet. Well, there and are we a couple of American yeah. girls that would go for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can pretty much do whatever he wants. Yeah, a few of them. But yeah, no, that's actually a good point you bring up. His wealth is unknown. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he could potentially be the richest man on the planet because in theory, he owns almost all of the, you know, the the buildings. Yeah. And is the major driver behind a lot of, or the owner of a lot of the things that drive the Russian GDP. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, Russia is a petro state. They're basically a yep. gas station. Yeah. Uh, and all that money gets funneled up. Now he lets oligarchs do their thing or whatever, but basically they're... Somebody described it as like he allows them to hold his money. Yeah. Uh, he's got yeah. stuff the, like the, when the Panama Papers came out, they found not his name on things, but like things like a friend of his who played like the cello and has like a billion dollars in assets that he was hiding <laughs> offshore. Yeah. And it's his shit. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so he's played the game well at this point from an internal political standpoint. But how does he get the Russian public to fall in love with him? As so quickly. Sh- yeah. As he'll surely need to secure the presidency mere months later. Well, that's interesting, because as much as we love shitting on conspiracy theories on the show, we've got a real live one here to discuss, and one that is so highly probable that if we decided to dedicate a conspiracy court episode to it, it would likely score more realistic than the CIA's involvement with drug dealing in Central America in the 1980s. Oh, wow. For real. Let me explain. You see, the 90s were a very dark time for Russian national pride. 
They'd lost the Cold War. Their entire culture was overturned. They were broker than they'd ever imagined. Their savings, their pensions, everything was just gone. They were ransacked by Western business interests and Russian bad actors. And perhaps worst of all, the mighty Soviet military, now the Russian military, had been utterly embarrassed in the first Chechen war in the mid-90s by a ragtag group of separatists. I'm not going to get into the details here because, Jesus Christ, this show is going to be long enough as it is, but to sum it up, to the Russian people, it was the equivalent of the 93 Bulls getting smoked by the worst Clippers roster ever. It was that bad. Oh, wow. And the Chechens were also culturally different to the standard Russians. They were bearded Muslims, and so they felt less like a cohesive part of the Russian Empire and more like a culturally like separate vassal state. But that didn't mean the Russian public was okay with them breaking off and being independent. Additionally, the Chechens, due to their Islamic affiliation, well, they were considered to be a terrorism threat. So, just a couple months before Putin reared his head as the new president, a series of terroristic apartment bombings in Moscow that ultimately killed over 300 and wounded over 1,000 Russians was attributed to the Chechens. Putin, then the prime minister, decided to take revenge against the Chechens that he deemed responsible, saying in one interview that the Russian army would, quote, wipe them out in the shithouse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, he said Wipe them out in the shit <laughs> yeah. house. And they were like, what, dude? That's weird. You're going on my toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While what would become known as the Second Chechen War kicked off officially in Dagestan a month prior, the Kremlin used the apartment bombings as an opportunity to rally the Russians around a full-blown invasion. And invade they did. The Russians waged a ruthless war in Chechnya, including a bombing campaign in the capital city of Grozny that practically razed the entire city to the ground. In 2003, the United Nations called Grozny the most destroyed city on Earth. Oh, wow. Oh, Jesus. The campaign was a win in absolute terms for a nation whose morale had been on life support just six months earlier. Putin, who was president in time to reap the political rewards of kicking the shit out of Chechnya, saw his poll numbers shoot through the roof. The little-known, humorless bureaucrat was now a revered leader who had helped Russia reclaim its militaristic pride. Saved him from the terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this from like a... A fucked up standpoint. So what if, let's just say, Florida mm-hmm. was full of separatists, right? Yeah. And um, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and essentially the government sets up a tryst to where a bunch of people are killed. They mm-hmm. blame it on Florida. And then they go down there and just, because Chechnya is, it's in Russia. It's just south yeah. of it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like Eastern, like you got Dagestan and like Chechnya or whatever. They're it's just, to the east of Ukraine, right? Like I, I think, so. think so. Right I'd across the, the little, map, well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's damn close. It's pretty yeah, much yeah. attached. It'd be like us bombing Florida. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, Tijuana. Well, that's what it is. Like and like I said, they already had like the first Chechen war in the 90s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So this is just like round two. But this time it was just brutal. They're like, we don't give a fuck. We are not going to lose this. Like I said, they destroyed Grozny. But you can see pictures of it. It's like, you're, it lo- honestly, sadly enough, Mariupol, Ukraine, looks a lot like Grozny did back then. Uh. Mm-hmm. Damn. But the interesting thing was that those Moscow apartment bombings that uh, helped sell the public on a second foray into uh, Chechnya, well, there were some oddities about the whole thing. First, there was the oddity of the operation. According to the official story, terrorists were alleged to have driven almost 2,000 miles past military checkpoints in cars presumably loaded with uh, explosives. And the apartments were on the edge of Moscow. There wasn't like a cultural target like bombing Red Square or the Kremlin or something like that. Say what you will about Al-Qaeda, but the World Trade Towers and the Pentagon attacks had a doubly emotional attack in their landmark status. But whatever, these are minor points. They may cause one to raise an eyebrow, but not much more. Where it gets even stranger is that at one point, a member of the Russian parliament named Gennady Zelezniov announced a bombing of an apartment in Volgodonsk. And there was such a bombing. 
but it didn't occur until three days later, which is weird for sure. Three days after the fact? Three days after the fact, then the uh-huh. bombing happens. But the That's ice- why we went in. <laughs> but the icing on the cake, in my opinion, uh, of the Moscow apartment bombings being a false flag event is this. On the evening of September 22nd, 1999, residents in an apartment building in Ryazan, which is basically like a suburb of Moscow, saw a suspicious Lada sedan in the street below. Its license plate crudely altered with a piece of paper. <clears throat> Responding officers of the local police found a bomb in the basement. It had been made with uh, hexagen, which is a military-grade explosive known in the West as RDX that was only available at one heavily guarded factory in the Ural Mountains to which Chechen insurgents could not have gained access. These details were largely lost in the breathless report about a foiled terror attack like that night because they were like, oh, we found the bomb, we stopped him or whatever. The following night, Putin announced an aerial assault of Grozny, the Chechen capital, in what would prove the first salvo of the Second Chechen War. He said, until we win, he said, and we will win. But it soon became clear that the Chechens had nothing to do with the foiled Ryazan bombing. Three officers of the FSB, the post-Soviet version of the KGB, were arrested for the bombing, leading FSB chief and Putin ally Nikolai Petrushev to fumble for an excuse. Quote, it was not an explosion somebody foiled. It was a security training exercise, he claimed. The sacks, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. the sacks contained only sugar. There were no explosives inside. This is sugar. This is sugar. And this is gasoline. Yeah. And this Dude. is RDX. Uh, yeah. Uh, if so, nobody had told Riazan's own FSB office, quote, this announcement came as a surprise to us. <laughs> Officials there said in the kind of like a sharp descent from the Kremlin line that soon became taboo in Russia. Now, anyone who has listened to this show knows that we're skeptical when it comes to big claim conspiracy theories, but this one is pretty tough to ignore. Yeah, that's that's a little cut and dry there, Johnson. Yeah, FSB, military-grade explosives, and a lot of sedan. It was bags and, of sugar, Mike. Yeah. Damn. And plus, these, these Chechenians got across like military checkpoints coming from that yeah. area, which was already a terrorist area, yeah. just cruised right on past Russian military yeah. checkpoints. I mean, maybe one or two like, were or whatever, but... I do feel like, uh, you know, this this one in particular, the last one, is just, I mean, it's just, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But unsurprisingly, there was never an official investigation into the bombings. The Russian people never really demanded one. And uh, Putin's popularity continued to soar. The Second Chechen War certainly helped. But more than that, Putin had vowed to reign in the oligarchs, and he did so publicly. In one famous example in July of 2000, Putin summoned the major oligarchs and sat them down at a long table with Russian news cameras showing it all. He agreed not to reverse the 90s privatization of assets in exchange for the oligarchs not meddling in politics and pledging allegiance to him. I'm not going to steal your shit if you give me your support. Yeah. Quote, basically. Yeah. Quote, I want to draw your attention to the fact that you built the state yourself to a great degree through the political and semi-political structures under your control. So there is no point in blaming the reflection in the mirror. So let us go down to the point and be open and do what is necessary to make our relationship in this field civilized and transparent. He would do this a bunch of times, too. He would gather up all the uh, oligarchs or whatever and basically, you know, like browbeat them in front of the like the news. And the Russian people loved it because they didn't really fucking like the oligarchs. There was one instance, I think this was like 09, and he actually had, had brought in Oleg Deripaska, who was like an aluminum magnate and some other people or whatever. And uh, he basically called him like a fucking loser. And then he had made him sign a contract that they would actually like fund, uh, like, uh, I don't know, it was like a wage increase or something like that. And then when Deripaska walked away with his pen, he was like, bring me back my pen, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Well, so, I, and I kind of envision like 
them meeting up before the cameras roll. And oh, I was yeah. like, all right, here's what's going to happen. Oh, 100%. Look, it's not going to be pretty when the cameras roll. And then after the cameras cut off, they're having drinks in the bar. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I really showed you guys today. And like, yeah. shut the fuck up, lad. You well, know how this works. They know where their bread's buttered for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's reality TV at its finest. Yep. Yeah. Well, the oligarchs agreed. Probably also because a couple of the oligarchs, like Boris Berezovsky, missed the meeting due to, you know, fleeing the country to save their lives. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, the Russian people fucking love it, dude. Putin was cracking down on that dudes that, like, they had all looted the country. But beyond all that, the final piece of the Putin is Russia's savior puzzle also fell into place. Oil prices. The price of oil in December of 1999 was $22.55 a barrel. The price in the summer of 2008, right as Putin was exiting the presidency, $127.47 wow. a barrel. And in case you weren't aware, like I said, Russia, economically speaking, is nothing more than a petrostate. Oil and natural gas prices are up. That's a great thing for Russia. Considering, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> considering that their primary exports are oil and natural gas. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much all they fucking do. They have, like, this is why they're also in a world of hurt right now, because. They're not a diversified economy. Right. And if like Europe finally decides like, you know what, we really will figure out something else on this natural gas and oil front. Who's their biggest customer? They've got to sell to China and India, which is what's happening now, but at a discount. Right. Like yeah. India and China are basically robbing these fuckers blind because they're just like Costco. Well, think about when everything goes electric, too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the drive. Obviously, in America, they've already put some laws in place where. All the cars are going to be, you know, fully electric by what twenty forty something, something like along that. Those yeah. Lines. yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that will wind up spreading worldwide. You know, yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah. It'll get picked up, you know, yeah. in Europe and, and beyond. Uh, and then they're just straight shit out of luck unless they can, you know, figure out a way to become lithium miners or whatever. Well, that's the problem. Is like I said, because it is so rife with corruption, there was never a real attempt to like diversify the economy. You know what I'm saying? Like here in the in like the U.S. and uh, you know Europe and everything like that, like. We have a very diversified economy. You know what I'm saying? We have if one market aspect fails, you have other ones that are going to be okay. Agriculture, yeah. energy, you know, all these different. Yeah, yeah. They, they live and die by oil prices. You know what I mean? So like, vodka, so, vodka. <laughs> so throughout Putin's first term as president, the Russian economy expanded by a massive amount. Corruption, at least on the street level, was checked. Oligarchs were reined in, and Russia, to some extent, became respected again on the global stage. Remember, they were like helped us out and after September 11th they yeah. were like they had let us use jets and shit and they did some like bombing raids with us over in Afghanistan oh, oh they were know just, about that they were chomping at the bit to get back in Afghanistan oh yeah, yeah. of course yeah they never forget oh, the 80s yeah. and it was funny too because we had to work together on that we're like yeah remember when he gave those uh, dudes stinger missiles and we blew your fucking helicopters apart <laughs> well we need your help over there now <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, is he like they invite Putin over and they watch Charlie Wilson's war. <laughs> <laughs> this, I love Tom this Hanks. This makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> George um, Bush shows up with a My Bad Vlad t shirt. Yeah. That's what he said. He met him. He was like, I looked into his soul and I could tell he was a good man. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I decided not to call him Pooty Poot anymore. Poot. My Bad Vlad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're respected on the global stage again. So it's not surprising that the Russian people glossed over any of the negatives as they saw the, like, the resurgence of their nation and the establishment of a middle class. But that's probably too bad because there was a lot going on behind the scenes of Russian society. Putin's government began cracking down on unfriendly press. By 2003, the last independent TV station in Russia, TVS, was shut down. This meant that every other TV station was either directly owned by the state partially owned by the state or owned by parties with economic affiliations or loyalties to the Kremlin, a.k.a. the oligarchs. 
That's not good. No. Worse still, individual journalists that didn't toe the Kremlin line found themselves isolated or worse. Yeah. Remember the whole uh, Moscow apartment bombing thing? Well, there was a journalist named Anna Politskovaya, and she had spent a lot of time reporting from Chechnya during the Second Chechen War. Anna Gogobaya. Politskovaya. (laughs) Uh, Uh, During the Second Chechen War, and she continued to be critical of Putin and the Kremlin afterwards. She had a following and quickly built that into a fortune with a website and internet empire in which she sold supplements to subscribers like Alex Jones. I'm kidding. She was kidnapped, tortured, and poisoned before finally being gunned down in an elevator outside of her meager Moscow apartment. Ouch. Well, that turned kind of quickly. I called it Anna Gogo Bio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's Alexander Litvinenko. He was a former KGB-turned-FSB agent, and he was convinced that the Kremlin had been involved in the Moscow apartment bombings that precipitated the Second Chechen War and Putin's rise to power. More than that, when he had been in the FSB, he had launched an investigation into alleged connections between high-level Russian law enforcement officials and the Russian mafia. According to Litvinenko, he met Putin in person to discuss the facts of the case. During the meeting, he said that he quickly became aware that Putin, quote, hated him. So a whistleblower goes up to Putin, starts mm-hmm. talking to him, and then it's like, this guy fucking hates me because of the words that are coming out of my mouth right yeah. now. Yeah, because Putin was at the top of this. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, the top FSB like, was involved with all the Russian, like the guy, um, was Simeon Mogilevich, that's, he's like the kingpin gangster of all the Russian mafia. Still around, and people talk sometimes that they're like, you know, he's, Putin may answer to him. I don't think that's true, but there's definitely some play back and forth between them. Hmm. So at this point, Lipinenko shows up and he's like, hey, dude, uh, I'm an FSB agent. Me and my team, we're going to investigate. Like, we can see that there's some corruption here. We're going to go to the top and we're going to get the green light. Yeah. And Putin was basically like, okay, cool. Like, Come I, see me. Yeah. And he yeah. was like, I'd like to meet you and then talk about it. Um, <laughs> after Lip- and disappear you. <laughs> after Lipinenko and his team gave a press conference announcing their investigation, he was quickly dismissed from the FSB by none other than Putin himself, who stated, quote, I fired Litvinenko and disbanded his unit because FSB officers should not stage press conferences. This is not their job, and they should not make internal scandals public. The threats became more pronounced, and Litvinenko took his family and escaped to London, where he was granted asylum. But that was not enough to keep Alexander Litvinenko safe, because in 2006, after publishing a number of books and articles that painted Putin and the FSB as directly responsible for things like the apartment bombings, the Moscow theater hostage crisis of 2003, and the murder of Anna Politskovaya, Litvinenko was poisoned with polonium-210, a highly radioactive substance. As he lay bald and dying in his uh, hospital bed, he filmed the video in which he blamed Putin directly for his death, stating, quote, You may succeed in silencing one man, but the howl of protests from around the world, Mr. Putin, will reverberate in your ears for the rest of your life. And if I recall, it was he, did he go to a restaurant? He did. And he there went, was somebody in the kitchen. There was that, two FSB agents that met him, and they had tea. They were having tea. It was a restaurant in London. Yeah. And they put polonium in his tea. And they drank it, got massively sick. They did the uh, the 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 British actually ended up doing a uh, an investigation into this, and you could actually trace because it's radioactive. Yeah. You could yeah. actually trace the entire thing. These guys flying over from Moscow, poisoning the fuck out of this guy, and then going back to Moscow. Wow, Jeez. it was a hundred. It was obvious, and actually, a lot of people were like, Putin let that be known. Like he wasn't afraid for it because it, it sent a so, message to yeah, other people. Yeah, Don't fuck with me. Yeah, exactly. How so do I you mean, not taste the poison in your teeth? You can't taste it at all. Yeah. Mm, really? It's radioactive. You, it doesn't, it's not like a poison. It's just basically like radiation. And they slipped him a Mickey. 
Yeah. Poison Mickey. The Poison worst Mickey. Kind. Yeah. Man, I would. I don't know if I'd leave my drink unattended either. Like, he was very nervous about meeting these guys. Look over there. Look over <laughs> there. I actually, there's a really great book that's called, um, uh, what should we call it? It's called uh, From Russia with Blood, which is kind of a cheesy title, but they really go through like the number of like basically extrajudicial like assassinations that Putin goes to. I'm only naming a couple here. There's so many. Yeah. yeah. So fucking many, dude. This guy is not afraid to kill people. Yeah. And he's not afraid to let it be known. Like, that's the thing. He's It's the old, like, Russian, like, sort of plausible deniability, but a wink, wink. Like, uh-huh. yeah, I fucking did it. Somebody else come and get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and you're killing people in London. It isn't yeah. like it's the home turf, baby. God. Yeah, like I said, he, he you know, Litvinenko was saying that, uh, you know, people would, like, howl in protest. But contrary to Litvinenko's statement, it did not bother Putin at all. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> We're still <laughs> surprise, surprise. We're still after an investigation proved that the polonium could only have come from Russia and a Russian government facility at that. The whole world did not protest. It basically shrugged. No point in stopping all that sweet oligarch money from flowing into London, I suppose. So it's no secret that Putin's political toolbox definitely contains like a drawer full of assassination. But to illustrate a bit further, here's a few other deaths that can reasonably be attributed to the Kremlin. There was Natalia Estimarova. She was a journalist who sometimes worked with Anna Politskovaya. She specialized in uncovering human rights abuses carried out by the Russian state in Chechnya. Probably had a, yeah, she was a busy lady, I'm sure. She was abducted from outside her home and later found in a nearby woodland with gunshot wounds to her head. No one has been convicted of the murder. Then you have human rights lawyer Stanislav Markolov, uh, who represented Politskovaya and other journalists who had been critical of Putin. He was shot by a masked gunman near the Kremlin, Journalist Anastasia Barbarova, who was walking with him, was also shot when she tried to help him. Jesus. <laughs> then you have Boris Nemtsov, who was actually like a former deputy prime minister of Russia under Boris Yeltsin, who went on to become a big critic of Putin. Now, he like accused Putin of like being in pay to the oligarchs, which, again, seems pretty plausible. Well, he was shot four times in the back, just yards from the Kremlin as he walked home from a restaurant. Despite Putin taking personal control of the investigation into Nemtsov's murder, the killer has not been found. And I remember when this one happened, too. And it's crazy. You see the video of it. Like He's really? just walking down the road. Dudes get out of a car, just completely shoot this guy in the back right by the Kremlin. Again, Putin's like, I didn't do it. Or wasn't, maybe I did. Wasn't me. It's, wink, wink. Yeah, maybe I did do it. I'll take over this investigation. It went nowhere. Oh, it wasn't me. Yeah, exactly, dude. Uh, Paul Klebnikov was the chief editor of the Russian edition of Forbes. He had written about corruption and dug into the lives of wealthy Russians. He was killed in a drive-by shooting and an apparent contract killing. Where was this at, though? Uh, I don't know. This is outside his house or something like that. But... Is this here in the States? Oh, no, no, no. This was uh, the, the Russian, Russian edition Oh, of Forbes. Russian. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then you had Sergei Yushchenkov. He was a Russian politician who was attempting to prove the Russian state was behind the bombing of the, apar- you know, the apartment, the apartment bombings. bombings yeah, yeah. He was killed by an assassination by a single shot to the chest just hours after his political organization, Liberal Russia, had been recognized by the uh, Justice Ministry as a party. Like I said, there are so many that I'm just going to stop there. That's wow. a lot of accidents. A lot of accidents. And then you're not even uh, getting into like assassination attempts that occurred in London outside of like uh, Litvinenko. There was another one. I can't remember. It was a guy and his daughter were hit with Novichuk, which again is can only be sourced by the, like in in Russia, right? It's not like oh I can go pick up some Novichuk. This right. shit is a fucking deadly agent, <laughs> and they went and just sprayed him and his daughter on a fucking park bench in London. Oh no shit, gosh. yeah. And this guy was obviously yeah. They, like I said, spend some time. Like I said, the book uh Russia with blood or whatever from Russia with blood. 
the title's lame, but you'll get a very good sense of, of what the hell is going on. Anyway, so now we're going to get into like his foreign policy stuff, right? Now, of course, the whole reason that we're talking about Putin today is the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine. This has been shocking to some people, but if you've been paying attention to Putin for the last 20 years, you likely had a sense that this was coming. In politics, people love to toss about the Hitler comparison to almost anyone that they dislike at the moment. And almost any time this occurs, it's like a gross exaggeration or it's downright idiotic. But I think the comparison between Hitler and Putin warrants some serious consideration. I mean, don't get me wrong, the uh, like immediate thought about Hitler always goes straight to the Holocaust, and I don't think Putin is in the business of trying to like systematically eliminate entire ethnic groups, even if he is like openly hateful of gays. But take off that whole final solution thingy, and there's certainly some interesting overlap. Remember the old uh, Mark Twain adage, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Both Hitler and Putin rose from the ashes of a national shame. Yep. Germany's defeat in World War I and the collapse of the Soviet Empire. Mm-hmm. These historic events drove both men to return their nation to, or like, to try to return the nation to a state beyond their former glory. Both men quickly realized the power of media and propaganda to further their cause. And both men leaned on what amounted to dark admin to pursue their goals of selling their vision to the country. Hitler had Joseph Goebbels. Putin had a man named Vladislav Surkov. Uh, a man much less known by the common, like, you know, U.S. citizen, but a man that was every bit as effective as Goebbels. If you get into, there is a book that's called um, uh, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And it's sort of, it's not about just politics in Russia, but it just sort of is like paints the zeitgeist of Russia from like 2000 to 2015 when the guy moved back to London. Surkov mm-hmm. was a guy who literally had a background as a theater director. Huh. Right? He went to like uh, the Moscow Art Institute or okay, whatever it was. Okay. And he ended up leaving that and going to get an economics degree or whatever. But what he did was like really masterful, right? Because they gave the illusion that there was choice. But for instance, you had like the Russia United Party or whatever, which is like the main party. They would allow other parties to exist, but they would do things like this. Like they would pay off a member of like an opposing party and then they would make it known. That they paid them oh, off. The, oh, okay. So all of a sudden, everybody that was like, oh, I'm the, with this Russia's awesome party or whatever. Well, then the leader of that, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, we also paid him money. Mm-hmm. So now you can't trust him. Ele- yeah, he's discredited. Poisoning yeah, the, the well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So they, we have multiple parties. But yeah. hey, look at that party and look yeah. at that party. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, so yeah. they consolidated everything down to where all the main, like I said, television stations are basically kremlin mouthpieces yeah so they get to put on whatever they want to yep with no ramifications or oh, yeah you know what i mean like yeah. or retaliation or yeah, anything they called Surkov the dark cardinal or the i'm sorry the gray cardinal right uh-huh. like just quiet behind the scenes or whatever but he was setting everything up he was pitching the idea that and he's the one that built the legend of putin as like the father of russia all right all those pictures so- of him riding horses shirt off you know fucking in submarines shit like that like they crafted this persona you know what i'm saying and he's actually like an interesting character like they they interviewed him one time and uh his quote was quote the only things that interest me in the u.s are tupac shakur alan ginsburg and jackson pollock he apparently kept like a picture of tupac on his desk <laughs> and he said there's only two things that interest me and he named three no no i'm sorry uh, i may maybe i misread that the only things that interest me in the, the u.s things. are tupac shakur uh, okay. and alan ginsburg <laughs> Yeah, he loved Tupac Shakur. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, anyways, yeah. So just, hey, going back to Suge Knight. Yeah. There you go. The yes, right it there. is. That's uh, <laughs> maybe Tupac defected to Russia. That could be the case. You know, he's the third black Russian. That's it. That's it. <laughs> he's hanging out with uh, Surkov there. Uh, Tupac is an oligarch in yeah. Russia. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> 
Yeah, Play great. Dear Mama. <laughs> Moscow Illuminati. <laughs> All through your body. But anyways, the fact that Russia... It blows like, <laughs> like Putin's shoddy. <laughs> the fact that Russia and Germany were both effectively ash heaps when Putin and Hitler came to power, and the fact that they employed brilliant, though diabolical PR men meant that getting their respective countries on board was an easier and stickier task. Because no matter what you hear or want to believe, the Russian people legitimately love them some Putin. Even now, after Putin has made such a like colossal geopolitical and military error that has cost the Russian people so much, you're just now starting to see a large portion of Russians starting to ask, like, what the fuck, dude? Fairly reliable polling shows that Putin's approval numbers have never gone below 50%. And interestingly enough, rose to near all-time highs after his invasion and annexation of Crimea in 2014, a move that unleashed a barrage of sanctions and repudiation from the rest of the world. So as much as you want to hear that Putin has lost his mind by even thinking of taking Ukraine, well, it doesn't seem all that crazy when you understand the stunning wave of approval after taking Crimea, right? I wonder how they get those polling numbers right, because if it's coming from the Kremlin, like... No, 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 this is, this is like third party. Uh, this is this is pretty reliable. Like, it's you don't want to think that the Russian people love Putin, but they absolutely do. And like I said, if you really look at what the situation is, like I said, him coming off of the 90s or whatever and like restoring like a sense of like... He put bread pride. on our table. Yeah, it was yeah. a sense of, of pride and knowing. I mean, he's like I said, he's very good at hiding his corruption. I guess. Wink, wink. Yeah, sort of. You know, even when he had that that uh, rally this last week or whatever, it, they were pointing out like his jacket is a fifteen thousand dollar jacket, and like his watches. They have like this whole website that's dedicated to like Putin's watches. Like his watches are like uh-huh. Philippe Patax or something like that that are. $250,000, but he has, apparently, he tells everybody that he lives in, like, a humble apartment and only makes $70,000 a year, basically. I am a public servant. Yeah, and they buy that shit up. Well, like, I heard that at the rallies, they were, it was a mandate you had to go mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, it's, it's, the cracks in the veneer are starting to show through now, yeah. because but, now it's, it's atrocious. Like, now, McDonald's is getting shutting, like, every, everything's gone. Like, I saw somebody, uh, they were saying that, like, Big Macs are now being sold online yeah. for, like, 50 to $250 mm-hmm. in Russia. Yeah, well, they're, some- they're taking, like, all those McDonald's, and then they're, like, turning the golden arches sideways, and it's now going to be called, like, Uncle Yuri's or something like <laughs> or, that. Uh, what was the, in Coming to America? Yeah, yeah, McDowell's. McDowell's. Said, McDonald's has the <laughs> golden arches. He said, we've got the golden arcs. He said, they've got the Big Mac, we've got the Big Mick. <laughs> The Chappelle show, Whack Arnold's. Whack Arnold's. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you smell like French like, fries. Uh, <laughs> Whack Arnold's destroying his family. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, but yeah, like I said, honestly, he's incredibly popular. They've done like man on the street interviews I've seen on, on the news. And like the Russian people, especially the older Russians, love Putin and they're okay with this. Now, do they love him or do you think there might be some kind of like fear of publicly coming out against him? I think sincerely they like him. And I'll be honest, like even the Russian people I hang out with, Great people, I love them, but they love Putin, and they know I hate them, so we have fun conversations, right. <laughs> you know. But I mean, there it's we can have those conversations, sure. That, but they legitimately, in fact, like very true story. I remember when Trump won the presidency, and they were just ecstatic because they love Trump too. And they, I remember, had the, like the one friend asked me, he's like, "Do you know what Trump stands for?" And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "The Russians uh, or uh, uh, the Republican Party under Mister Putin," and they were oh, all like, wow. "Oh." snap dude they were uh-huh. loving it like and they legitimately love putin they think he's just the greatest thing since sliced bread man huh. man yeah anyways what's probably like the greatest similarity between the two men involves their method of annexation it's known as salami tactics right it's a method of slowly slicing off opposition into fragments and weakening them to the point of irrelevance 
This approach can be used militarily as well. In the case of Germany, these are sometimes called like the peaceful annexations. Hitler's first effort was in Austria. Remember, he just goes and he takes Austria and they're like, yeah, this is cool, you know, whatever. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Putin takes Chechnya back. Hitler then took like the Sudetenland. Putin invades Georgia and created independent vassal states, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Both moves like raised international hackles, but nothing was really done about it at this point, right? Remember 08 and then he goes into Georgia or whatever, like out of nowhere. You're like, what the fuck, man? But then like a lot of people were like, well, you know, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, like they really consider themselves like Russia. So, you know, he's just, that's the thing. Next, Hitler takes Mamel in Lithuania. Putin takes Crimea. Now the whole world is on high alert. The reaction to the invasion of Georgia and the reaction to the invasion of Crimea were very different. Night and day. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, shit. It felt like, like I said, this is very much like uh, what Hitler was doing in the 30s, just slowly pulling pieces off. When Hitler invades Poland, it sets off the European theater of World War II. Putin's invasion of Ukraine hasn't elicited like an equivalent military response from the West, but it has had the 21st century economic response uh, that's like equivalent, right? Legitimately crippling sanctions. Like economically, it is a nuclear bomb that we've that the West has given. No more Starbucks, McDonald's. That and also the, to the point where they've like seized assets and oh, stuff yeah. like that. They're yeah, seizing sure. assets left and right. The, the oh, I did hear one thing about the dude that was. Um, did you hear about the kid that? created some kind of technology that he was able to track elon musk oh yeah yeah i remember that and his plane and Mm -hmm. elon was like cool let's not do that anymore right (laughs) yeah well he turned around and started using that same technology to start tracking the oligarchs as they were fleeing russia and stuff like that well and they're closing off oil sales that's why right now russia's just to make ends meet is selling oil to india and china and china's kind of like well you know we're gonna take that for like a pretty steep discount dude like we're happy to take it from you but then putin's like oh well also can you guys like help me out with some like money and they're like nah nah i don't <laughs> think so but we'll take your oil so the, owner of, what... uh, the chelsea soccer team and oh yeah abramovich the yeah they told him yeah get lost buddy abramovich is yeah yeah i mean this they're getting their shit seized left and right yeah super yachts oh yeah oh yeah um, yeah i mean and that's the thing is like i said the power structure for russia basically is borderline like a, a mafia family and Putin's at the top of it. And basically all of these oligarchs sort of operate like capos or something like that. You take their shit away, they're getting less happy. Yeah, right. And I read Tony that, Soprano's got to protect his people. Yeah, I read yeah. that one of those super yachts was docked somewhere and it can't leave because nobody will sell them fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They can't put gas in it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. He God, I wonder it, how much gas it takes to fill those a things. A lot. A lot. Yeah. 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 Putin has bit into a shit sandwich here. Yeah. And I'm having a hard time understanding just the why behind it. This is providing a lot of good color. Yeah. But I think a lot of people out there are wondering, why did he do this? You know, like, well, there's different schools of thought. And I don't buy that he's insane. Right. Right. Like, I think this has always been a stated mission. It's a very, if you go back to like, him talking about the collapse of the Soviet Union being like the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century, it starts making more sense. He's like, there's certain things that belong to us. That is Russia. Ukraine is certainly one of them. Like they don't even they talk about it like it's not even like a, an independent country. They're just like, oh, no, just for a matter of time. Crimea is theirs right now you know why they take Crimea is because they need a warm water port right yeah. and Sevastopol is like that's their only real access to a warm water port year round plus you have a bunch of military uh, they were leasing like a, a, a naval base down there or whatever and then Ukraine really started moving towards like the west yeah, they, yeah. absolutely so you know eventually like I said in his mind he wants Ukraine to be 
part of Russia again. And Ukraine has a pretty diversified economy. They're not yeah. just a petrol state. They're like the number two producer in wheat mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple other things I read were it's not just oil there. They kind of add a little bit of flavor to that GDP. Oh, certainly. Isn't that also where Chernobyl happened? That's correct. Yeah. In fact, there was the Battle of Chernobyl. Yeah. That just happened like a couple of weeks ago. They literally were fighting in Chernobyl. And you're like, it's crazy. That's insane. But another thing that happened too was that they found a lot of natural gas and oil reserves in eastern Ukraine. In Donbass and in like in the, in, in the like Black Sea over there by Crimea and stuff like that. Well, the concern for the Russians at this point was that if they were able to access those things, like all of a sudden Shell and all these other people were coming in, they were going to help the, the Ukrainians access the stuff. They can start selling it to Germany. They can okay. start selling it to Europe. So if you have a more friendly, Euro-friendly country like Ukraine that has massive amounts of oil and gas reserves... And you're taking away the bread and butter from Russia because they'd rather buy it from Ukraine yeah, than they'd yeah. want to go to Russia. So now, of course, Crimea, you also have the, like I said, the warm water port. Also, Crimea, they consider it, they're like, Crimea is ours. It's it's part of Russia. Mm-hmm. And then you have, oh, we're also going to kneecap these dudes so they can't get this fucking oil and shit and sell it to Germany. There you go. So there's, it's very complicated. Like a lot of people are like, I, I hate those hot takes on the news. They're like, he's lost his mind. I'm like... It was a bad move, but it, remember how Crimea happened. It worked out fine. Yeah, and when you look at everything that he had done pre, like up to that point, mm-hmm. he had seized so much at that point, so he's like, what's one more? And well, what's yeah. another one? Well, what's, you know what's crazy about this whole thing is I always envisioned, and I even have told this to my son, the next war that we see mm-hmm. won't be fought with humans. It would be like drone fighting, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. you're seeing some of that now. And, oh, and, certainly. And internet fighting, yeah, like but uh, if you look, exactly. cyber warfare. Exactly. But if you look at this shit, I mean, it is literally tanks on the ground, yep. dudes hiding in bushes, and yep. shooting at each other. It's, like, a, it's insane. It's pretty archaic. I'll be honestly, there's a subreddit called Combat Footage, and I've been watching a lot of that lately, to the point where I think it was starting to affect me a little bit. Like, It's weird to see... And, like, I found myself, like, rooting for, like, when you see these dudes pop up with, like, a javelin missile and just completely smoke, a, like, a Russian tank. I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> dude. And then, like, I saw a video where they blew up this tank and you saw a soldier crawl out and, like, basically die. And I was like, I can't. This is a lot. <laughs> this yeah, is a lot, man. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I just have to think that all those Russian soldiers aren't completely sold on their mission either. Like, no, no. They're being told dealing, what to do. And you're dealing with a lot of, like, millennials and the generation after that. Mm. And they have way more access to news and internet yeah. than any of the you know battles before that right yeah. so like i mean you've got a bunch of kids running around that have oh, been yeah. born by the internet yeah and now they're being told to you know go in and invade and i think they have a little bit more sympathy mm-hmm. than why they're shittier fighters apparently the russian fighters are they're, 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 their heart's not in it and also they just they like the whole thing was crazy like they're you know supply lines are absolutely crucial and especially if you're going to be having like heavy armored divisions roll like tanks and stuff like that. Sure. And it's, it's honestly, it's been a, a massive embarrassment for the Russian military. Oh, yeah. Like Ukraine is like kicking the shit out of these dudes left, right? Now, it's going to happen. Anyways. It's easier to defend and stuff like that than it is to go in and, and attack. It is. And take over. But at this point, too, because I remember like the concern at some points was just like, oh, if NATO and Russia ever get into it. I'm like, NATO will smoke Russia's dick. The only reason that Putin has any power at all whatsoever is all those fucking nukes, dude. Because if he didn't yeah. have those nukes, and if like if they go to a NATO nation, like just in terms of expenditures alone, like NATO outspends them like a hundred to one, yeah, and they got some not great technology. It right. wouldn't even be a it would be a fucking cakewalk to be honest. But he's got 
his finger on the red button. And that's mm-hmm. where he's, that's why he's starting to like rattle that saber. He's like, all right, we're getting ready for nuclear readiness. You're yeah. like, Jesus Christ almighty, dude. Yeah, Russia does not lose well or, you know, like especially in the world's mm-hmm. eye. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what makes me a little bit nervous is once you back them into a corner. Yeah. You got to find an off ramp, but it's just there's not really an off ramp for him at this point. And he's just like refusing. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how this is all going to play out, dude. I was going to say like. And things might also change by the time that this actually airs as well. Or our listeners listen. We may all be dead. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's horrible, but it's maybe a possibility. If we don't make it to the next episode. Well, you know, you know what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Don't use conditioner in a nuclear holocaust because it'll the radiation will stick to your hair. Ooh, so okay. just use shampoo, everybody. Oh, that's safe. a good tip. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Randy are oh, safe. Yeah, I wash my head with soap. That's it. <laughs> body wash is whole body <laughs> that's wash. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, anyways, going back to like the Russia, uh, like the Putin-Hitler comparison. What's interesting about these annexations from both Hitler and Putin is that they, they came with like the same rationalization, which was like the protection of German or Russian language speakers living in those regions. Right. The whole process is almost identical. Like, so Hitler would be like, oh, you know, the German people in the Sudetenland, they want to be part of Germany. So we're going to go and protect them. And this is the same thing he said about eastern Ukraine and, you know, uh, Crimea is like we're the great protector. Yeah. And they try to break them off in states. It's happening in Moldova, too. Like there's a place called Transnistria. So, again, it's salami tactics. He's like taking countries and supporting like, uh, you know, rebel factions and being like, yeah, 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 and then we'll wait. Like the the concern now is like if they go walk through Ukraine, well, Moldova's next. Transition, yeah. you know, it's it's whatever. So Lithuania and all those other countries are freaking the fuck out. Estonia, they're like, oh hell no, dude. But yeah, dude. I mean, that's I don't know how this is like gonna play out, right? Like Putin could end up dead next week. You could have a full on like Gaddafi moment, <laughs> right? You, yeah, you could have a Caesar uh, moment. Yeah, it could happen that way, you know. Yeah. It could be World War Three. It could be a nuclear apocalypse. Or it could just be like a long, drawn-out, localized conflict a la Syria, uh, which is very reasonable, I think. I'm not sure. And we'll find out soon enough. But with that, let's get final scores for our comrade, Vladimir Putin. Randy, what you got? All right. So... Glad I learned a little bit about his upbringing. I was kind of curious about what he was like as a kid. I would imagine his report card would read, does not play well with others. Yeah, um, kind of quiet. Yeah, exactly. He didn't get the box check for talks too much like That's I true. did. Um, but I want to, I honestly want to like Photoshop his kid picture into Home Alone's like movie movie poster, dude. Yeah, the way that they uh, did with the cat and yeah. uh, Titanic. Yeah, yeah. And it I shows uh, Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> carrying a cat everywhere around. Yeah, dude, because he looks like Kevin McAllister, dude. It's crazy. A little Soviet Kevin McAllister. If they had only taken him to Paris at Christmas, maybe this wouldn't That's have happened. It. Yeah, exactly. But honestly, it's it's just. It, it's, I think it's a sad, sad situation right now. You got so many people that have been displaced. Yep. You got women and children that are just kind of on their own. You've yeah. seen all the pictures of like men kissing their family goodbye. Yeah. You don't yep. know if you'll ever, ever see him again. Yeah. Um, My favorite boxer in the world yeah. can't fucking fight for four belts against George Cambosis in Australia because he's busy doing like uh, defense stuff in Ukraine. Like the, exactly. instead of instead of him fighting in Australia for four fucking belts, he's over there with a fucking AK-47 like on patrol. And the heavyweight of one of the heavyweight champions of the world, Alexander Uzik, same fucking story. And you got, like I said, there's a real chance here that in maybe a month's time that four like amazing boxers could all be dead because Putin decided to invade Ukraine. Yeah. It's crazy. Jesus. It, the whole situation is just really fucked up, but kind of if you play it backwards, right, it does make a lot more sense. And his personality fits the bill for somebody that would do something like this. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's extremely just irresponsible and just 
selfish. Yeah. At the core of it, it's a lot of selfishness, right? He wants Certainly. to return the USSR back to its former glory, and mm. it's kind of an antiquated thought, but he's just a, a fucktard, man. Well, they talk honestly. a lot about it because they're like, it's not so much the USSR he wants. He actually wants to return to like the Romanov, uh, like the Tsarist stuff like that you know what i mean like it's just because actually like the russian empire was larger than the ussr prior to world war one and uh you know that's sort of his i think when he he talks about the great leaders of russia he talks about stalin but he also talks about like ivan the terrible and peter the great he is a, a, an absolute russian nationalist at the end of the day and that's like the most important thing to him i think and i think honestly at some point like I, you know obviously russia is the biggest plant or biggest country on the planet but let's get real like how much are you getting out of Siberia? No, it's true. I mean, it's they, yeah. massive. Their economic output is less than Spain's. Yeah, it's just a massive, massive piece of land mm-hmm. that it, you know doesn't do shit. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's frozen they're, half the year. They're a fucking corrupt gas station at the end of the day. Exactly. And I, and I hate that because honestly, like Russian people, like all the Russian people I've ever hung out with, are very warm and fun, interesting people. One hundred percent. They're just a blast all my to Russian hang out friends with. are yeah. awesome. Like some of the best. Like I have some of the most fun with my Russian mm-hmm. friends. And yeah, uh, yeah no. I feel bad for him. And it's know? crazy to think that Alaska, you can see Russia from parts yeah, yeah. of Alaska. Like, yeah, it's like only like 20 kilometers. Well, you think it's like on the other side of the world, but yeah, go to Alaska it's and right check there. it out. You can fucking see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, shore to shore. Absolutely. You know? It's nuts. Honestly, like I said, the, the shoe kind of fits on this. And I know I had him kind of high to start with. I'm going to bump him up. His final asshole score for me is going to be a 9.5. Okay. All right, buddy, what do you got on Vlad Putin? So for me, uh, you know, this was a little bit of an eye-opening show. You know, I, I figured there was a lot of stuff that we were going to uncover here, but yeah, and that I didn't know about, but damn, I mean, like, I didn't realize that I had a feeling there was going to be a couple assassinations, you know, or people killed, but I didn't realize, like, the extent of everything that went through. And oh, like, if, if we could have done it, it's been an eight-hour show, dude. There's yeah. so much there. This is I just, think this is a good, like, jumping-off point, like I said, and, like, I think people should read books like red notice and like from russia with blood and uh, nothing is true and everything is possible well, the, the biggest question is can you get those on audible because i, can. Don't, I don't read books i, I actually books. have all these on audible <laughs> right. and i can share it with you oh Perfect. nice all right good so yeah and then i mean even it's not even just localized in russia i mean like he's going out to like sending planes to london with uh what flanon or polonium, polonium and novichuk and yeah i mean like this i mean that's insane baloney um, and nunchuck <laughs> <laughs> He put that dude's porn tape on TV. That's it. Yeah. You know, um, eh, this guy, I mean, and, and any chance that he had to, to seize power, it seems like he has. Yeah, and sure. just like, will blackmail anybody to get there. Mm-hmm. Didn't return Boris, Boris's call, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, this guy, I, I had him, you know, at Suge Knight. And uh, yeah, we got to <laughs> we gotta step love him up a little shit. bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? He said that, man. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> We're off to he said, mm, I don't know. He's, he's pretty much like, Justin Bieber <laughs> <laughs> should have like compared him to Duterte now that Honestly, I think about yeah that's it's up yeah, yeah you know so that's actually where I'm gonna land him you know because going through the show he is it sounds like Duterte to me or it has that same kind of mentality yeah and um but he has the love of the people where I don't think Duterte he does too really sometimes people love a fucking strong man man Duterte may not have so much anymore but at the time we did that show he was still pretty popular so, uh, yeah, for me, I'm jumping um, old Pooty Poot up to a 9.33 as a final asshole score. All okay. right, 9.33 for Buddy. Mike, you yeah. finish this up. Yeah, and I like I, said, I don't think I can do it justice without it being like a 10-hour-long show and stuff like that. So it's I feel kind of bad because I know so much about Vladimir Putin that maybe this doesn't like reflect what his score 
is going to be from me because there's a lot more there. Sure, the sure, sure. But I'm going to put him at a 9.9. I think he's incredibly dangerous. I think he is. And I, I mean, like I said, what's happening in, in places like, say, like Kharkiv and, and, and Mariupol and stuff like that is like they're like actively targeting civilians they're blowing up hospitals, blowing up schools and shit like that. And they know exactly what they're doing. They did the same thing, like I said, in Chechnya. He's OK with that. He's a OK with that. You know, so he him like killing uh, journalists who disagree with him and stuff like that, uh, you know, killing uh, anybody that dissents. I mean, this is just like a step away of just public execution like mm-hmm. they used to do like in, in England and stuff and like the yeah. Renaissance and stuff oh, yeah. like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Just He's a, a cold blooded killer. Absolute cold blooded killer, dude. And I, I just I I have very real concerns. I hope that he dies. I hope that he gets I hope he gets Gaddafi like a full knife up the ass. Gaddafi! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. Nine point nine. All right. With a nine point three three from Buddy, a nine point five from Randy. And a 9.9 from Mikey. Vladimir Putin's final asshole score is a 9.57666. Puts him above Jim Jones and Rodrigo Duterte and just below Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Right in that region. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Not quite uh, Suge Knight territory. (laughs) (laughs) Or Cardi B. Cardi B. Awesome. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. You know who you want to be like? You want to be like Hot Boy 2004-692. With the pimped out Gucci suit. That's exactly right. He got on the Patreon train. Check us out. Patreon.com slash AHC podcast. You've got to put the full title in your uh, search browse because we are explicit. explicit. We're Shrek fans. That's exactly right. Awesome. Again, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you, as always, for your support. Be kind to one another, unlike Vladimir Putin. Yeah, fuck Putin. And we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.